This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, the Delta Hotel in St. John's is the location today of an afternoon of reflection to mark the 30th anniversary of the Cod Moratorium. Um, those who were around at the time, and I'm one of them, can well remember that feeling of complete loss and devastation when the announcement was made on July 2nd of 1992. It had an impact on just about every single aspect of life in this province. And while it was a shock, it did not come as a surprise. The cod fishery had been steadily declining throughout the mid to late 80s, and tensions had been building for some time with the expectation that Ottawa would soon announce the fishery's complete closure. Well, on Canada Day of 1992, fishermen confronted the fisheries minister, John Crosby, in one of the most iconic moments moments in the province's history. I didn't take the fish from the goddamn water. You and your goddamn people took it. You and your people took it. No, I'm trying to do what I can. Yes, you're doing shit on it. You're doing nothing. And that was at the uh, wharf in Bay Bulls the day before the Cod Moratorium was announced. Uh, The following day at the Delta Hotel in St. John's and with fishermen trying to beat down the doors of Salon B and VOCM News was there at the time, Crosby announced the closure of the commercial cod fishery now known as the Cod Moratorium. It was a moment that would forever change the province's history. And if you recall, it was only intended to be for a couple of years. And here we are three decades later. But it's not all bad, of course. Uh, We've managed to eke out, uh, not just eke out, but be successful uh, by diversifying and modernizing the fishery in the interim uh, through necessity, no doubt. Uh, I'm going to start this afternoon with Keith Sullivan, president of the FFAW, who was uh, young at the time of the cod moratorium, but who has seen a lot of change in the fishery over that length of time. So, Keith Sullivan, what do you remember back in uh, 1992 around this time? How did this impact uh, your family, yourself, and, and the people around you? Well, I, I think my experience is probably similar to uh, thousands of others. Uh, you know, I was relatively young at the time, but just just getting into the fishery had been, you know, fishing every day in the summers, the years before this. Uh, of course, my father was cod fish harvester my mother was in a fish processing plant so i mean it was obviously uh devastating to so many people that had bid their their lives and people saw no uh, no way out and the only thing i guess we can kind of look back at in some ways and say that we're resilient and we're able to adjust use those skills and uh, and make lives better by by switching to other fisheries, but certainly at the time, and uh, you know this was much more real for for people who had responsibilities and to deal with it. But I mean, it definitely seemed like the the end uh, for for people, and I know it was an incredibly difficult time. That still, you know, uh, weighs weighs on people uh, today. You know, this was. Uh, the challenge and stressful but uh, there's certainly some success stories that came out of the ashes for sure 
Well, indeed. I mean, here you are. You're the head of the FFAW, the, the you know, the fisheries union. It's it's huge. It has so many members. You're still here, but you could easily have been growing up in Alberta because of all of this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it took, uh, you know, a lot of people's lives and careers took uh, took a change. And, you know, just for our example, we were, you know, kind of lucky enough we stayed with it and fished different species like moved on to doing some lobster and whelk and blackback fishing you know lumpfish and then uh, you know certainly the, the crab resource kind of took off and I think uh, that that impacted an awful lot of people but you know like I said from that now for many, so many years when people felt despair and didn't see the fishery as an option uh, it's more valuable than it's ever been. People who are struggling and often live living uh, in poverty are now middle-class jobs and doing better. And that's not without its challenges, but the fact that we have a valuable crab fishery, the most valuable lobster fishery uh, in years, and we've diversified a lot to other species. Uh, so that's come with a lot of hard work and uh, determination by many, and we still need to push to make sure our governments value fish harvesters and make sure that the people in these communities still get access to the resource. We can't take that for granted. Did it force uh, the changes that were necessary to make the fishery what it is today? I mean, you you mentioned, you know, some people were, were living in poverty. It would be from season to season, that kind of thing. And now we have uh, professional uh, fishing enterprises and, and fish harvesters who are, are making a, a half-decent living at it. Um, did it force those changes, something like COVID, if you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think undoubtedly you know it it did you know the necessity as they say is the, the mother of the the invention in some way so i think you know without that the transition wouldn't have, have quite happened uh, so you know i think unfortunately in many ways people uh, were, were forced to do this because they didn't have another option but the fact that we had the skills and the the ability and you know the determination of people uh, who were able to do this work. I mean, we continue to be the, the most uh, skilled inshore harvesters in the world. We still have, you know, people with uh, all kinds of skill working in, in fish processing, and we were able to make that transition. And, you know, I talk to a lot of people and are certainly nostalgic about uh, the good old days, you know, prior to the moratorium. But, you know, a lot of people will, will tell you that the, the good old days weren't necessarily uh, all good. It was a lot of struggle. It was a lot of hard work for uh, a lot less money in, in many ways. So, um, you know, I think people are, are more successful and have better lifestyles now uh, because of the hard work of, of so many in the fight for better wages and the fight for improved working conditions. So we have an entire generation now who have never fished a, a commercial cod, a lot of uh, people in the industry. Um, and there were hopes, I know, some time ago of, of maybe looking at a reopening of the commercial cod fishery. That doesn't look plausible at this stage. Where are we now with all of that and what needs to be done? Uh, well, you know, first of all, you know, we've, there are certainly some some issues on the south coast and the west coast where we have had commercial fisheries, albeit relatively small for a number of years, are struggling there. But what, you know, people listening should understand that the cod stock has grown uh, 50 times 
in 25 years is at the level it was in the 1970s when we were fishing uh, 15 or 20 times as much cod. So we're being ultra conservative now. We want that stock to grow, but there is certainly potential. And it's potential for more value. It's not the, the cod block days. It is, you know, more higher valued cod, and we're seeing an increase in value. And, you know, grade A cod went up about uh, about uh, you know 30% this year. So hopefully this is the beginning of uh, growth and reestablishing ourselves in the world markets and a leader in the cod fishery. But, uh, you know, it's been a longer time coming than most would really like and I'd say some need. But I'm optimistic about, you know, Newfoundland and Labrador's place in the cod fishery the future. That's FFAW President Keith Sullivan. We're going to hear from Gus Etchigary, who has a very long history in the Newfoundland fishery, coming up right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're back. July 2nd marks the 30th anniversary of the Cod Moratorium. And few people in this province, arguably, have more information and knowledge about the cod fishery than Gus Etchigary, whose involvement in the fishery predates Confederation. Well, I spoke with him about the significance of cod then and now. Well, Gus Etchigary, you have been an observer and a participant in the Newfoundland and Labrador fishing industry, well, since before Confederation. Leading up to the Cod Moratorium 30 years ago, what kind of things were you seeing happening? Well, to to begin with, uh, Linda, um, uh, I'm not sure how many Newfoundlanders realize it, but when we entered Confederation uh, in 19... uh, 49, the Newfoundland fishery elevated Canada from 14th to 6th place in the world as a fish exporting nation. And so the the fishery that we brought, by the way, it increased Canada's uh, production uh, by 30%. And that's why it well, actually it doubled the Canadian East Coast uh, fishery. And, you know, it was huge, huge. And, uh, you know, I always say that uh, uh, there's been uh, quite a lot of discussion about seals over the years and and, and a very uh, good reason for it. But, you know, in those early days, the industry, uh, the fishery itself, the resource was so huge and diversified that uh, while there was a seal population and uh, you know it it, uh, it certainly fed on on the fishery uh, it didn't uh, really have an impact in terms of reducing it because the replacement uh, uh, I was from from the huge fishery was such that it overcame it but what happened was you know when the war and when in nineteen uh, you know, in the 40s let's put it that way in the late forties particularly uh, you know three in my view three major events shaped the fishery of Newfoundland and in fact brought us to the distressing situation that we're facing today and that was number one. The uh, end of the uh, the Great War, which involved so many nations in Europe, 
and uh, had a, you know a, a terrible negative impact on uh, uh, the European ability uh, to provide food for the nations of, of, and so on because uh, in the six years of war, the damage to the agricultural industry was huge. So at the end of the war, the uh, the European nations, Russia and all the other European nations, faced an enormous problem. They had about 475 million people, and there were a, a tremendous shortage, shortage of protein. So they faced, uh, you know, a really serious problem, and between them, they decided that the answer to their problem, certainly temporarily at the time, was uh, in the ocean. So they, uh, all these nations who were involved in the war had huge building facilities, naval building facilities, and as well uh, naval, uh, you know, personnel. So uh, it was not a, a very difficult job uh, to build a, a very large uh, a fishing effort uh, to, uh, to catch the fish that was necessary. So that was number one. Number two, uh, the uh, saltfish industry in Newfoundland, which was you know close to 500 years um, old, uh, was um, changed enormously with the advent of freezing. And um, the freezing industry, uh, you know, uh, made it possible uh, and, and uh, for these European nations particularly to come across the ocean and uh, preserve their fish and, and so on. And, uh, and, 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 and as well as that, uh, during, uh, at the same time, at the 1949, we joined Canada, again, Newfoundland, and uh, lo and behold, transferred uh, the management of this huge, huge fishery, which the Europeans were now coming at, uh, to Ottawa. And in transferring it to Ottawa, of course, it went to uh, the politicians and the bureaucrats there who had as much information and knowledge about the fishery as uh, I have about, uh, uh, you know, flying in space. So that's what we faced. And uh, as a result of these uh, events, uh, what happened was um, absolutely disastrous. Well, indeed, we had this extraordinary resource. Um, so what went wrong in terms of management? How was it managed prior to our joining Confederation? Was it left simply to oh, we, we, You know, the Newfoundland fishery, uh, when you look at the, draft, the graphs uh, going back as far as uh, 1875, uh, there was a, a, a fishery was carried on, uh, at a relatively low level in 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 relationship to the uh, uh, availability of the resource and um, we had uh, a, our own science uh, capability which was quite considerable by the way a man named Dr. Templeman, a uh, native of Bonavista, by the way, uh, was head of the uh, the science department during those other years, and uh, was uh, you know very familiar with it. So we had we had uh, the capability uh, in Newfoundland 
uh, and good people in the industry. I mean, uh, you know, the fishery meant so much to Newfoundland uh, that the uh, the uh, capability to manage it, uh, particularly with sound, a good sound science program, uh, you know, meant that we had a well uh, managed fishery when when we transferred it to Ottawa. And, uh, you know, um, there's documented proof to show that uh, 15 years after we transferred ownership, uh, rather the ownership and, and management to Ottawa, uh, we began in the industry uh, to... Uh, we began in the industry to um, uh, notice a, a decline in uh, the catch per unit of effort, if you like, uh, it is the catch both inshore and in the offshore uh, vessels, and also a, a substantial re a reduction in the size of, say, cod, which went down from an average of four pounds in the uh, f 50s and 60s down to 2.2 uh, uh, pounds. And uh, the, the catch, as I say, went down from, on a trawler, went down from a ton of fishing hour to 800 pounds. And that, you know, was the beginning uh, of our recognition in the industry that we were in serious trouble and a, a decline was taking, was, was taking place in this once huge fishery. So, of course, we were alarmed, and, uh, and we knew that if it continued, that the industry would collapse. And so, you know, we started with the help of Dr. Templeman and the science department and, and, uh, and, and others in the industry uh, to put together a, 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 an organization that would make the, uh, the managers in Ottawa the, uh, the Prime Minister and the Minister of Fisheries and his group fully aware of what was happening. And the record shows very clearly that at least, uh, you know, beginning in uh, 1971, in October of 1971, a group of us, 10 actually, representing the industry, met with uh, Pierre Trudeau, uh, the Minister of Fisheries at the time, Jack Davis, and a whole bunch of their cabinet members, and presented the document to show, uh, you know, what was happening. And, in fact, uh, again, we have the records to show that uh, Trudeau and, his, uh, and the Minister of Fisheries and the group were alarmed at the information that we presented. And, um, as a matter of fact, uh, Trudeau, at the meeting we held in his boardroom, uh, requested Jack Davis to call, or rather to telex, Premier Joe Smallwood and advise him that the Canadian government was going to start taking action immediately to extend jurisdiction over the continental shelf and stop the foreign a massacre that was taking place and and uh, severely uh, you know causing causing the severe decline decline in the resource um, and uh, that was in 1971 and he promised the government of Canada the, the premier the prime minister of Canada made the promise which we have the evidence of 
uh, to extend jurisdiction and protect our resource, which if he had done it, would have avoided the problems we have today and put us far ahead of Norway and Iceland in the uh, world of, of uh, fish production and so on. Instead, of, he reneged on the commitment and uh, seven years later extended jurisdiction only to 200 miles, thus leaving, uh, 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 thus protecting the maritime fisheries and Quebec fisheries, but it left the Newfoundland fisheries fully exposed to the continuing overfishing by uh, foreigners. And that's the, uh, the, that's where, that's what caused the problem. And, uh, you know, 1971 is now 50 years ago. And ever since then, uh, Linda, I can tell you, not only ours, you know, we, we had a company that uh, uh, employed 8,000 people uh, and, 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 and had a, uh, inshore plants and offshore plants and so on, and were very much involved. So that, uh, you know, half the time we spent, instead of managing our operations, was trying to convince the government of Canada to act to save our fisheries. And they, and they didn't act. And that's as simple as that. That's Gus Echegary. We'll hear more from him coming up right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your requests to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. We're talking about the Cod Moratorium. July 2nd marks that anniversary and uh, hard to believe that three decades have passed. We've been talking to Gus Echegary. I'm going to let you hear a little bit more about what he's had to say about the last 30 years and where the fishery could go in the future. So here we are, 30 years onward, and uh, really the commercial fishery has not rebounded to the degree in which many people had hoped. In fact, we were thinking the moratorium would only be for a year or two or possibly three or five, uh, never imagining that 30 years later we're still in this position. What uh, kind of failures have, have taken place in the last 30 years that have not allowed this stock to rebuild? Well, you know, uh, at the time, as you say, the moratorium was announced by uh, uh, the Minister of Fisheries at the time, and it was uh, the announcement, uh, and I have a copy, saying that it was for two years. Well, anybody who knew and really understood the, the fishing industry of this province knew that that was nothing else other than a pure bluff. And uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, Linda, the evidence is clear, and I would, you know, I would be prepared to answer anyone who would challenge this, that the government of Canada, the government of Canada abandoned the Newfoundland fishery after 1992. They, they cut the uh, science program here and our capability to manage uh, on a scientific basis by 50 percent at sea uh, science programs were cut in half and the personnel as well and uh, uh, since then we have less and less and less knowledge uh, about the state of the, of the various uh, fisheries than ever before 
and, you know, as I say, abandoned, except for political announcements. For instance, a couple of days ago, we had a, an announcement saying the government of Canada is coming out with a program to uh, restore the uh, uh, American place uh, fishery. Well, you know, that will be about, the, I don't know, 10 times since 1992 that announcements were made. But it, it doesn't mean a thing. Nothing really worthwhile will happen. There will not be any recovery of the northern cod. In truth, there will not be any recovery because the fishery now is down to such a low level that the seal population will prevent any recovery, will prevent any recovery. And just to give you an idea of how out of touch the government of Canada is today, we had uh, a week or 10 days ago uh, a, a representative uh, from Newfoundland in, uh, in the uh, House of uh, Commons, uh, Cliff Small, uh, make a, uh, you know, come up with a resolution uh, to uh, get something uh, done about the seal fishery in order to give the recovery uh, an opportunity, uh, give the, uh, the cod resource an opportunity to recover. And, uh, you know, that uh, resolution went before the House, went before the House of Commons and was defeated. Our own representatives in Ottawa voted against it. Yet, two weeks prior to that, the Minister of Fisheries for Canada, the, the, the present DFO minister, was down here in Newfoundland and announced that there was, they were going to undertake a program to deal with the, fish, the uh, sealing problem. And yet, here was an introduction of a resolution by this man Small uh, to do the, exactly the same thing. And every, every uh, uh, member of government voted against it, as I say, including our own people who are there representing us. So that will give you an idea of just how badly and, and stupidly the the the, the, uh, the government of Canada has dealt with what was one of the largest and most diversified fisheries in the world. No doubt you've had a lot of time to contemplate this over the last 30 years, but what kind of approach should Ottawa be taking towards rebuilding cod stocks? Well, they should be uh, undertaking. You know, 30 years have passed. And not even there's not even a plan to to uh, to. Uh, first of all, what you need is a reinstatement of the uh, capability of the scientific capability to truly understand what the state of the variety of the various species are. Not only cod. There's there's uh, four different species of flatfish. There's turbot. There's redfish, and of course uh, uh, the other species. Thank God these days there's a crab fishery, because otherwise uh, there would be riots in this province. I would suspect, but at least it's it's uh, salvaging uh, some uh, indication that we had a fishery. But what's what's needed is a, a a reinstatement, as I say, of the scientific program to determine fully. Uh, 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 by scientists, because without scientists, we have nothing.
as far as fishery management is concerned. And we need that. And then there's a plan to stop foreign overfishing that is continuing. It's continuing. On the, on the nose and tail of the Grand Banks today, you've got foreign fishers in an area that we, that Canadian fishermen are subject to a moratorium on. I mean, how ridiculous and how stupid can it be? I mean, and, and, and the same thing applies to, to the Flemish cap. There's uh, foreigners are out there in, in, in numbers that are taking what is left of the fishery out there and so on. You know, there's a migration of northern cod after uh, spawning off Labrador and the northeast coast down to areas outside 200 miles. And, of course, down at the tail of the bank is one of the, you know, what was one of the strongest cod fisheries in the world a, a, with a growth, by the way, the growth rate of, of uh, cod on the Grand Banks is four times that of the uh, northeast coast or the south coast, for that matter, of Newfoundland. Tremendous fishery. But it's fished out by foreigners. We've got foreigners now coming in here, taking over companies, that are out there at the, at the same time, they are out there with their foreign fleets catching fish. I mean, it's, 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 it's simply mismanaged. And as I said in the beginning, we, when we transferred our fishery from Newfoundland to Ottawa in 1939 was the death knell if you like, uh, for, the, uh, for the fishing industry here. And uh, unless and until we reinstate science and then determine, you know, what steps have to be taken to reduce fishery here and there, not only the foreigners, let's be right, let's be honest about it, not only foreigners, but at the present time with the resource down at such a low level as it is, that any fish that's taken out of the water these days with one plan or another is hindering the response or the restoration of the resource. I mean, these are not, I mean, you know, you don't have, uh, I, I sent you a copy uh, of, of the catch by foreigners over the years. And I, I would be really surprised, even if the management uh, in Ottawa today, uh, I know it's 20 or 30 years since the moratorium, but I, I doubt very much they have a clue on, on what foreign fishing has done to uh, our resource. How many people in Newfoundland, for that matter, would, would, would believe us uh, if, uh, uh, if, if we said that the Russians, after 19, uh, uh, 1950, arrived here uh, with uh, uh, about 11,000 11, men and, and, and uh, uh, science vessels and, and uh, a whole uh, armful of, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, people to uh, engage in the fishery. And uh, ever, ever since then, I've been taking anywhere from one to one and a half million tons a year out of our fishery. How many would believe it, Linda? 
three times what uh, Canadian uh, fish harvesters were taking at the time back in 1970. Three times, and not only that, but I mean, those people in Newfoundland, I can hear them now, some of the raucous voices from some politicians and, 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 and civil servants as well, shouting about the fact that the Canadians were doing damage to their own fishery. In actual fact, and, and again, I would like to be challenged on these numbers, in actual fact, the total percentage of, of, uh, of, the, uh, of the fishery, uh, um, offshore fishery, that is, uh, taken by Canadians as compared to foreigners is roughly 8%. 8% of what was uh, of the total catch by foreigners over a period of 45 to 50 years. So it's a, it's a, it's a question that, uh, well, you know, uh, I, we, uh, there's no doubt about it that DFO has failed us and continues to fail us day after day. But we also have to look at our own government because our own government has lost, lost, and I mean lost all interest in the fishing industry in this province. Uh, it's pathetic to listen to uh, the top people in our government. Uh, I won't name any names because I could go back for 25 years and it hasn't changed a great deal, but it gets worse as time goes by. They have little or no interest whatsoever. They're more interested in, in, uh, in the mining or in something else rather than in the basic industry that built this province. And if it handled, had been managed properly, today we would be leading the world. Gus Echigari, I really appreciate your time and your insight into all of this. Uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. So that's Gus Echigari. Coming up, we're going to hear from uh, Clyde Wells, who was the premier at the time. He had just been elected, if you may recall. And uh, VOCM's Brian Callahan sat down with him this morning uh, with his uh, recollections of that very uh, difficult time. Coming up right after this. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. And we're back. We're talking about the 30th anniversary of the Cod Moratorium. It's not until July 2nd, but there is an event that's taking place. It's open to the public at the Delta Hotel in St. John's this afternoon, and they're inviting people to come down and share their ideas and reflections, and Jim Payne is playing there this afternoon. Um, and um, my colleague, Brian Callahan sat down with the premier at the time, Clyde Wells. He sat down with him this morning, as a matter of fact, just a short while ago, and um, who, and spoke with him about his reflections from that very difficult time. Here's what he had to say. How challenging of uh, your entire premiership was the moratorium? Is, is, was it the greatest challenge of your... Well, it was. Sure. Uh, it was perhaps uh, uh, the inability to do anything really positive ab ab about it. This had been growing for years, so it wasn't a sudden problem that you could correct a problem and have everything restored immediately. It was a growing concern that had developed over many decades. In, in, in fact, I mean, my predecessor, Brian Peckford, used to uh, want to have jurisdiction over the fisheries. He wanted Canada to uh, assign the jurisdiction for fisheries to Newfoundland. Uh, and 
I never saw that as practical. I uh, opposed it, and perhaps to some degree ridiculed it. We had enough problem looking after the territory of Newfoundland without adding 400,000 square miles of ocean to it. Even if we did have jurisdiction, we'd have to depend on the Canadian government to enforce it and supervise it. So it didn't make sense for us to have that responsibility. What did make sense, I thought, would be just to establish a joint management of, of the fisheries, akin to what's happening with uh, uh, the Offshore Petroleum Board. A, a, provincial federal joint uh, management board and in, in that way uh, you could avoid any conflict with other provinces and, and so on yeah. but having Newfoundland having jurisdiction just wouldn't work but nevertheless Brian Peckford was on to something because that was part of the problem. Newfoundland had no say in how the fishery was managed, and it was managed entirely by the federal government. The ones that were making the biggest complaint were the inshore fishermen. They were the ones that were affected. The stocks were going down. The offshore, the big fishing companies that had the offshore fleets kept saying, well, there's lots of fish. Yeah, and yeah. saying to the government, we're, we're getting all kinds of fish. There's, there's no problem. And to exacerbate the problem, the federal government was managing the biomass and determining and estimating the biomass on the basis of the catch. Of what they were, of the, what the draggers were doing. What the draggers were, were, were catching. And the, the, the fishermen uh, were, were complaining. And because everybody, most people had some idea that in, in nature, <coughs> the cod stocks go to the extremity of the banks right. in, in the winter and come back in in the spring, and that's when the inshore fishery is lot. big, and that's when they get their lot. Well, the, their ability to catch fish and the fish available to them was steadily reducing, and they kept saying, You're, the draggers are destroying our fish. The fish companies used to say, oh, no. We're catching tens of thousands of tons anytime we want to, having big catches every year. And I didn't, I wasn't expert. I, mean, I, I was never involved in the fishery and didn't know a lot about it. I was a simple lawyer. But uh, so I called uh, Les Harris and asked him to explain to me what, what the real problem was and what, what the significance. He said, look, Clyde, it's fairly simple. If you assume that table there is the biomass and this little matchbox in the middle of it is the fishing dragger, put that fishing dragger anywhere in that biomass and it's going to catch a massive catch. Go outside and there's none. Yeah. And as that biomass shrinks, they have the technology to find where it is, get to zero it, in in the zero in on it, yep. and fish it, and they can fish it to the last fish. They're not there, the fishermen were right, and I, I always remember uh, the saying they had at the time, you can't catch the same fish twice. If the offshore draggers are catching it, we can't catch it in. So you're causing our problem for the fishery that we've had for centuries. And they were absolutely right, but nobody was paying any attention to them. And in the meantime, there was an assumption or a feeling at the time, and everybody seemed to buy into it, maybe because it was convenient and it made people feel better, that it would last a couple of years. Do you remember that feeling that it might be a few years, only a couple of years, and do, do you think that was real? Well, the original moratorium that was announced was not indefinite. It was for two years, right. a moratorium for two years. So everybody was thinking in terms of two years. Uh, a lot of people were saying, 
that's not going to do it. Uh, the damage has been so significant yeah. that it won't recover in, in two years. Did you have a feeling at the time it would be longer? Did well, you well yes, I did. I was apprehensive that it would be longer based on my discussions with Dr. Harris. Sure. He, he had developed a, a great deal of knowledge and was a commissioner uh, in, in advising the federal government on the issue. So he was helpful in, in providing me with that information, and uh, I was, I felt fairly confident that it was going to last a lot longer than two years sure. because of the nature of the problem. I didn't see how it could be. But the feds said the moratorium is for two years. I realized that they were probably trying to make life a little easier for themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, I was critical of the federal government in their management of the fisheries. But in fairness to them, and I've got to acknowledge this, that when the problem presented itself as it did, they took the steps. They right. closed the fishery, which they had no alternative but to do, uh, or, was, or nature would close it. Uh, and then they stepped in to develop programs, the uh, NCARP and TAGS and sure. those programs, to offset bridge, the yeah. economic effect and, and bridge the gap. Now, maybe the two years was used by them to sort of make doing this more palatable to the rest of the country. Right. I don't know, but I do, uh, I think Newfoundlanders should acknowledge that the federal government stepped in and took responsibility, and, and, uh, and thank God they did, because we had no idea. It, it. it was their own oh, doing. Oh, it was their own doing. I mean, they had to do, yeah. They'd been managing the fishery and insisting on it and refusing to uh, let the government of Newfoundland, which Brian Peckford had been insisting on, have any say in the management of the fisheries. What do you recall about the day that you learned that the federal government was going to call, initiate the moratorium? Well, I knew Mr. Crosby told me, but he, he told me... Uh, what he was going to do, and uh, I understood. I expressed agreement. He had he had no alternative but to do it. Now a lot of people in Newfoundland really got most upset with him, but the poor man couldn't uh, do anything else. How did you, uh, when you, as you watched him, at either whether it was on the wharf in Babel's or whether it was in at the Delta Hotel and all those scenes and the fishermen? Yeah. What did you think of all those moments where the fishermen were actually? Trying to beat down the doors and uh, yeah, I, I could I understand their the frustration, room. but uh, because uh, the federal government had been mismanaging the fishery over their objection for decades, yeah. they'd been complaining for decades. They felt like they were justified, or not they, justified, but they had been yeah vindicated, and, and they'd been vindicated. Their view had been vindicated. Uh, although nobody really, not many people acknowledged that at the time. They came around to recognizing it later. Um, but, you know, I felt sorry for Crosby. He was trying his best. Yep. When plants, remember, when plants were starting to close in the late 80s and uh, into the early 90s. Uh, That's the bellwether. Yeah, that was the bellwether. Do you, do you see um, uh, today, are they managing it better today? Have we learned anything? I'm not sure they're managing it much better today. I'm not sure the basis on which they're measuring the biomass. There was a, a time a few years ago when they increased the stocks and uh, increased the uh, TACs, and, and uh, within a year or two, the stocks had dropped precipitately, and they had to... Back to square one. Back to square one. Yeah. So they're not managing it right, whatever they're doing. I mean, the evidence is they're, they're not 
managing it correctly. They still won't agree to the province having any say in it. I mean, you know, there are a few things that always stick out to people when we talk about the moratorium. One, of course, is Mr. Crosby's famous line, you know, I didn't take the goddamn fish out of the ocean. What did you think when you first heard that? I mean, as a politician at the time, you know, we had to choose our words carefully, but it seemed like that was, a, that was the moment, you know? Yeah. Or did it seem that well, way to you? Well, Mr. Crosby always had a way of doing that kind of thing. To say the least, he could be very colorful. And on that occasion, he was, so I wasn't surprised by it. it <clears throat> smart pushback, or was it justification? Well, he was right to say he personally didn't take the fish out of the ocean. But he, federal government, which he represented at the time, did take the fish out of the ocean by allowing, by mismanaging in such a way as to allow uh, a, a very significant uh, mess of offshore fishery by the international community and in, in part by allowing a significant increase in TAC and and fishermen involved. So do you think he sort of unfairly washed his hands of it at that moment? I mean, well, he I, was the, re the representative. I don't think he was unfairly washing his hands. <laughs> Maybe he was. But I, I saw it as vintage Crosby outburst <laughs> when he was faced with a situation that he wasn't in control of. And he expressed his view quite strongly. And when you look at your legacy as a premier, um, you know, do you, are you satisfied with how you handled everything? In the, in, in the fishery, in there's, there's not much I could do sure. except make sure we didn't increase the number of fish plants sure. and probably decrease them where we could. So that's former Premier Clyde Wells sitting down with Brian Callahan with his reflections on that very difficult time and trying to navigate uh, a province through that kind of a devastating economic blow. I want to wish everyone a very happy Canada Day weekend and, of course, tomorrow of uh, Mark's Memorial Day, uh, a very solemn occasion here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So if you do have an opportunity to head out to your local war memorial or cenotaph, please do so and remember the sacrifices made.